0: What I'm going to give you today has been something that has been rolling around in my studies as I have spent the last probably 20 weeks or so of my own time in this text. Um, And it it always kept coming back around, back around, back around. And uh, usually in my study, if something like that happens, um, that means God's trying to get me to say something. And uh, so um, I tried to argue with him that I've already been here for 14 weeks, and I think I've got it covered. And uh, I don't know about you guys. Every time I've ever argued with God, I seem to have lost. Uh, So I finally surrendered and and tried to put this down in something that is coherent. Uh, And if it's not, would you do me a favor and act like it is? Okay, because that is really sort of what it is right now. It's sort of this great massive thing that is like, here we go. This is like bowling for dollars. So let us pray with a fervency and then read the word of the Lord. Father, help us to grasp your book. Father, let us be overwhelmed with the person of Jesus Christ. Father, may He be our focus. Father, let us, as Isaiah said, lean full weight, not on our under, our own understanding. And Father, um, if there be any this day who have deceived themselves, I beg you that today will be the day of freedom. Father, any who... Fallen short would be the day of their redemption. Father, I pray that uh, they hear your words, that they hear what you're saying, and that Father, that you'd use me as only you can, and Father, you'd be glorified. Thank you, my King. Privilege you've given me in this text. And Father, I pray that my brothers and my sisters will be blessed and have been blessed. To your glory, Lord, and yours alone. Amen. We'll read it through verse or chapter 3, verse 18 through 4-6. Um see how this thing works out. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. In the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have spent some time on here. You have an outline on the back of your bulletins, eight points on the face of Jesus. And when we look at the face of Jesus, we know that it is a clear look. We also know that it is a look that transforms. We know that it is a look that strengthens. It purifies, and it is a look at the loving of truth. It is a look that is actually a privilege. It is a look that humbles, but it is a look that is granted sovereignly by a holy God. I have heard and watched and been involved in the ministry and and walking with the king for a number of, actually decades, I guess it has been, And one of the things that I have watched in the evangelical church, uh, and I'm not talking about the doodahs, I'm I'm talking um, people who have a fundamental understanding. Um, I, I, I watch them grab things and systems and methods that they believe will make their Christianity practical. That's how they'll tell me. Uh, I've seen a book published one time, Practical Christian Living, um, Practical Discipleship. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, early in my walk with Christ, um, I grabbed everything I could get being practical. And I'd read it and realize that, well, that was... I killed a poor defenseless tree for no apparent reason. And then as I have spent my days and and time that God has blessed me with, it dawned on me that this book, the Bible, the Holy Bible, is probably the single most practical book on the planet. And as I have looked through this, well, actually chapter 3 and chapter 4, is where I've really been hanging out at. I can't think of anything more practical to a Christian. And yet, so few even understand the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And yet, I read it, and i pretty simple. We are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Where did our adequacy come from? From God. And yet, how many people have you seen, or perhaps you are, are trying to achieve ministry? You know, if I get me a degree or if I go to a, a college or if I go to, you know, fill in the blank. You know, I have studied under such and such person, so therefore I am now qualified to what? Anybody ever ask, what university did Balaam's donkey go to? Know, same one Terry did. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows that. <laughs> but then I start thinking about it, and you know, and we, as collectively as a, a fellowship, we went through the letter to the Hebrews, and and it dawned on me that that is probably the simplistic of it is being fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, that's not a very publishable book. I mean, because it's one page. But it is a quick read. And when I I think about the Christian life, and, and I'll be honest with you, I think about every one of you daily. You cross my mind. Because you're out there living your Christian lives. That's what you do. You walk out of here. You take his name, and and when I think about the Christian life, it is this it is so complicated, it is being focused on Christ. That's it. I know you thought there was more to it. But I watch us today and we think that there's something mystical or attainable, or if I do this or I do that, um, no. I focus on Christ. I focus on Christ when I'm working on motorcycles. I focus on Christ when I'm hanging light fixtures. I focus on Christ when I'm trying to figure out how to fix my car. I focus on Christ when I cut the grass. I focus on, I wasn't focused on Christ when I was killing them wasps. Sorry. I was trying to defend myself. <laughs> okay. It was, stay away. Stay away. Okay. And it's one of those that would have been great on YouTube. But anyway, when I think about the Apostle Paul, one of the things, and, and I can probably honestly say, I spend more time with the Apostle Paul than I probably do any individual. Okay, because I'm always reading what he's saying and trying to soak it in. I'm meditating on it. I'm chewing it up. and I don't know about that. Um one, well, it's you know on Wednesdays I'm teaching First Timothy and never mind. I'm teaching out of the Book of Romans on Sunday night and Corinthians on Sunday morning. Who else are you reading? <laughs> but the thing about the Apostle Paul that probably amazes me the most <clears throat> is he was always looking into the face of Jesus Christ, and it really didn't matter what was going on. That's what. That's his view. That was his focus. There wasn't anything else and there was nothing able physically, emotionally, or spiritually could even move him from it. Let's think about 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and following where he goes through all of the stuff that's going on in his life. Danger in the country. Danger from his countrymen. Danger from strangers. Beaten with rods. Shipwrecked. The night in the deep. He was living his life with no guarantee of tomorrow. He was living his life where he didn't even know if he was going to get through the day. Who would kill me? He was a marked man. And yet he continued to press on because he had a very simple idea. I'm just going to keep looking at Jesus. Period. And he's having some problems. In Corinth even, there were some who were attacking his reputation. They were attacking his integrity, his credibility. They were trying to tear apart the flock of God. And if you're really honest with what was going on in the Apostle Paul's life, you'll realize he had suffering about every direction. And it would almost be like it was unrelenting. He woke every day as if it would be the end. There were plots to kill him. There were plots to discredit him. And he found the solution to all of this, all of the trouble, all of the anxiety, all of the trials by looking into the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I think about the group that is here right now. And I know that some of you have got some serious stuff going on. And I have watched some of you take a butt-whipping by your serious stuff. Now, listen. And you can sit there and say, well, Terry, you don't understand. You're probably right. You're probably right. I'm working on a motorcycle for a guy, and it breaks my heart, Uh, his what was his 38-year-old son just died. And 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 the guy's a basket case. And he says, you just don't understand. And I said, uh, Larry, let me tell you something. I hope I never have to understand it. What? I don't want to bury any of my kids. I'd like to kill them, but I don't want to bury them. And I don't understand. But you know what I did? Back to Christ. Did he call Lazarus out of the grave? Hmm. Well, I don't know if he was saved. I said, then you should have a passion now to reach the lost. Because you know death shows up usually uninvited. I wouldn't want to bury a child. But here's this guy. All of a sudden, calls me Rev. I said, not, not Rev. That means reverence. And if you show me reverence, you're the bigger fool than I ever was. Okay? He's a good guy. He grew up in a church, hasn't been in church. And there he is. He's standing out here trying to figure out how do I deal with this heartache. And And people don't get it look into the face of Jesus and there is no heartache. There's none. I'm telling you that because I've had to live it. Paul found that the solutions were as simple for everything, for any worry, for any anxiety, for any turmoil, for any trials, were as simple as just looking at Jesus. 318, what does it say? But we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Have you ever thought about it? Let me ask you a question. What encourages you? Be honest, you're in church today. Jesus, my Bible. But I'm going to ask you seriously have you ever evaluated in your day what encourages you? You ever thought about that? What encourages you? What brings you joy? I love the Rocky Mountains. That's totally awesome. You come rolling down off that hill on a motorcycle and you look out there at them mountains, you're like, yeah, <laughs> this is the place. My wife likes to garden. I don't. I'm a killer of gardens. My wife likes horses. I don't like anything it eats while I'm sleeping. You know, Mice. Horses, just go down the line. I like motorcycles. Well, you can get killed. Yeah. <laughs> you can get killed out there with them hornets if <laughs> you're not running fast enough. But I, I ask these questions because I want you to think practically. How do I get encouraged? You know, I've had people accuse me. Well, what encourages you, Paul? I didn't say Job. (laughs) I mean, come on now. Paul encourages me. Well, but what about around here? Well, wait a minute. If you've got the apostle to the Gentiles encouraging you, what about around here? Have you ever thought about that? And yet the Apostle Paul had joy and was encouraged even in the middle of some of the most awful stuff you could ever think of. And he did it simply by looking into the face of Jesus Christ. We behold, as in a mirror, the glory of God in the face of Jesus and are being transformed. Well, there's got to be more to it. Because that's why they write all them books. I want you to think about Something. Looking into the face of Jesus Christ is the only way you can ever successfully live your life. Okay? And listen, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're preparing your 401k or if you already retired. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're counting on your kids, your grandkids or baby kids. I don't, I'm going to get married. Well, good for you. It will go downhill. Why? Because the only way you can live your life successfully and have encouragement continually and joy continually, regardless of what is happening in your life, is looking into the face of Jesus. I want you to understand something about this. When I put this outline together, it's been a few months ago, I, I, I never thought about it, but I've been reading some other guys, and, and this is objective, This is not subjective. Okay, what do I mean by that? Too many people go to the Bible thinking that it's some mystical image thing that you're going to run into. You know, there's some kind of clouded spirit will begin speaking like you see on some of these uh, movies. Okay. When you look into the face of the Lord, it is revealed in Scripture, you will find that he is real. And it isn't this cosmic genie thing that you think it is. This is a person who the span of his hand is creation and the water fits in the hollow of his hand. A sparrow does not fall and he does not know it and he knows the hairs of your head and he has promised you and I that when your faith becomes sight, you will know as you are known. That ain't some mystical, wow, man, thing. That is legit. That is straight up. It is the glory of God. And as I keep looking into the face of Jesus, I start seeing the manifestations of and the attributes and the nature of who is God. And you know what happens? You start trusting Him more and more. Because all of a sudden he gets bigger and bigger. Sort of like the little sponges that the banks used to give out, flat, shaped like a dollar. And if you put your money in our savings account and you dip this thing in water and all of a sudden swells up into a sponge. What a racket. Okay. Jesus keeps getting bigger and bigger. Too many of us right now are Bible head smart and completely spiritually ignorant. And I say that as lovingly as I can. And everybody says, well, that's pretty pretty lovingly, dude. I know the knowledge, but you know what? Your lies say you don't trust it. Because as soon as something broadsides you, what do you try to do? Fix it instead of looking into the face of Jesus Christ saying, this is the attributes of God and he will carry me through this. Lo, he is with me always, even to the end of the age. Even though he strike me dead, I will bless the name of the Lord. But, you know, you don't wake up one day and say, you know, I'll memorize the whole Old Testament and I'm ready. Apostle Paul in this letter says that he had a messenger of Satan who buffeted him. It literally means box in the head, a thorn in his flesh. He says, you know, what? three times I prayed to God, remove this thing. This person. And God said. My grace is sufficient. How about you? When you are buffeted, smacked around the head, do you say, "His grace is sufficient"? We learn to trust Him, and when I think about this, this, this look that clears, transforms, strengthens, purifies, gives a loving truth, privilege, humbles, and is sovereignly granted. I can take that look and I can define it in one word. Love. Love. The reality of the Christian life is to look at the face of Jesus. And the reason that we do is because of our love. reality is simple loving the lord dear friend of mine says you know what the bible 66 love letters from god to you personally loving the lord christ jesus is the heart and the soul it is the center of christianity i do not believe that you guys in this room are aware of how important this is sorry See, I'm allowed to say that. I've been around here for a long time. The love for the Savior is present in every true Christian. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. You will note that love defined there in 13. Love is a verb. It is an action. It's not icky sentimentalism. Oh, oh, flutter, flutter my heart. That ain't love. That's palpitations. True Christians are defined as those who love the Lord Christ Jesus. I hear too many today who say, I have accepted Jesus. I have trusted Jesus. I have confessed Jesus. I've put my faith in Jesus. I was at Billy Graham, and that's when I received Jesus. Okay? You know what the problem with all of those are? There's none of them biblical. There's only one. True Christian. I love the Lord Christ Jesus. He is the object of my highest affection. He is the object of my highest joy, period. That's a true Christian. And you know what? They stand out like a sore thumb. Because it is so odd. My greatest devotion is the Lord Christ Jesus. My greatest desires, my greatest interest is the Lord Christ Jesus. That is the love that I'm talking about. I'm not saying, well, Sunday, it's going to be really hot. Maybe that swamp cooler ain't working. I'll watch Charles Stanley. I don't hear no love. I don't hear no love. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Love Christ with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And I don't care what the world throws at you. Paul gives that in his life. You look at his life. You look at his writings. That's all you see. He's looking into the face of Christ. Why? Because he has this overwhelming love for Jesus. It's that simple. Let me show you something. Some of you were with us when we studied Matthew a few years ago. Remember that? Maybe there isn't anybody here that was... No, there's a few. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. One of the most stinging texts in all of Scripture. Matthew 10, 37 and 38. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me, I wonder what he meant by that. Well, what does the Greek translation of that mean there, guy? A Christian is one who loves the Lord Jesus Christ more than life itself. That's a Christian. Listen... Think about it. He uses the terminology here. Take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Okay? And I've heard everybody in their breath, My husband is my cross. Uh, my wife is my cross. My boss is my... No, man, look at the context. There should be nothing in this life more important to you than the Lord Christ Jesus. Period. Absolutely Period. No, no, no negotiations, no loopholes. Not your relatives, not your mother, not your father. Fo- but you don't understand. My mom, my dad. They're, I'm just telling you, you're not worthy of him. And if you don't like how I say it, then you read it. Then you read it. Father, mother, son, daughter, life, willing to die. I'm willing to give it all, more than life, even family. And if you're not, it's real simple. Not worthy. I just, I don't know about you, I was rolling around with all this in my head and I have Band-Aids on my toes I have band-aids. i got a little sign in my office that says, you'll never see a motorcycle outside a psychiatrist's office. Okay? And I'll be honest with you. Motorcycles clear me up. Man, I can go through a whole bunch of stuff and just, you know, get on the bike and just ride back to the house or take a ride down to Cherry Valley or something like that. And you know what? <laughs> eh, I'm all better now. Usually somebody cuts you off and your heart gets a beat and you're like, Jesus, there I come. And <laughs> that's why you're all better. But anyway, now... Uh, But, you know, and then I started thinking about it. I was like, why don't I do that with Christ? Why don't I do that with Christ? Being a Christian is coming to the place where Jesus Christ is the supreme affection of your life. There's nothing more important. Now, you think about that for a second. You think about that. What is the supreme affection of your life? Cuz you know what? It's seen Go over to uh John's Gospel chapter 8. John's Gospel chapter 8. Verse 42. Jesus dealing with the religious experts. And verse 42, he says to them, If God were your father, what? Did you read that? If God were your father, what? You would love him. Go on over a little farther. John 14. John 14 verse 21. 14 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who. He who has my commandments and keeps them is what? That's that verb I was talking about. Love has an action to it. You can sit around and have a little heart palpitations about Jesus. Oh, bless him, bless him, bless him. But you know what? He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who actually loves me. That's a Christian. Being loved by Christ, by God the Father. Do you have that love? Remember, Romans says, the love of God has been poured into your hearts by the person of the Holy Spirit. So it's not like you can't do it. Showing that love by sacrifice, showing that love by a willingness to separate even your family, if necessary, to give your life, to obey willingly, to give up of everything that you have, all of your possessions, all of your plans, all of your interests, throw them all away because my love... For Jesus Christ is more important than anything. Listen, think about this. John 21. Okay, we always talk about it. All right? Jesus comes to Peter and he's going to restore him. Peter had denied Christ three times. So he's going to restore Peter. All right? He doesn't say, Peter, do you accept me? Peter, do you trust me? Peter, what did he ask? Do you love me? I don't need you to receive me. I don't need you to accept me. There is no better definition for Christianity and or the Christian life than a love for the Lord Christ Jesus. Period. Period. The object of our affection, the desires of our life, what is your focus? You know, um, in uh, scriptures, when you come to the end of a letter, or a book, okay? <laughs> you get the salutations, you know, greet such and such, and Phoebe's coming, and da, da, da And we, we just kind of read over, and we don't really pay any attention to them, do we? We just sort of da da da. That's the end of the letter. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter six, last verse of the letter to the Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians chapter six, verse twenty-four. Okay, now I want you to think about this for a second. Now. Ephesians is an insane doctoral book with a lot of practical stuff in it. But I want you to think about this letter and how he ends it. Okay? Last verse of the letter to the church in Ephesus. What he says. Grace be with all those who Love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. It ain't a fake love. It's not a happenstance love. It's not a, well, it's working well right now. I'll be loving and next week if it don't work my way, I'm out of here. That's not what he's talking about. Now think about what Paul says there. Grace be to all. Who? How do you want God's grace? Grace. Love the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace belongs to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible law. An undying love. A love... Listen, you cannot not love the Lord and be saved. You can't love Him on... It's Sunday! Yes, I love you, Jesus! It's Monday! Get out of my life! I'm busy! That ain't real. That's a corruptible love. Never goes out and it can't be stopped. That's the love that is incorruptible. You know what? And it becomes an undying love. And then it will eventually, when you step into eternity, it will be an eternal love. A grace to believers and who are believers. And those are the ones who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. It doesn't go away. Cruise on over. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I'm seeing a pattern here. Seeing a pattern here. Those who love him. It isn't that you can't sit around. Well, I believe. Well, I accept. Or I confess, I acknowledge Jesus. I trust Jesus. You know what? So what? So what? Do you love him with an incorruptible love? Do we, do you love him? Undying affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would even argue it, it should be increasing. The more time you look into his face, the greater that love is going to get. We'll be looking at this in a little more depth in the weeks to come in second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. We are controlled literally by our devotion to Jesus Christ. Or you're not. And listen, if you're not, you're, you're as obvious. Why? You look like the world. <laughs> it ain't hard. The things of the world are more important to you. The passions of the world are your focus. If you love one supremely, passionately, nothing else can take your affections. Understand you have fixed your gaze. You look intently on the object of whatever it is you love. You've seen it? Watch young people. Dun, dun, dun. They fix their gaze and it's, And now we've got Twitter and tweeters and faces and all these other things. So we can sit and look and love each other just, ah. Look, my brains are laying on the floor. Now I got a little camera and I'm in love. And then they get all mad at me. It's just a puppy love, child. Don't tell me that. I'll be Christ. Okay. But you know what? Those people who fix their affections on that, what are they saying? It becomes the passion. It becomes the thing that they're wrapped up in. And guess what? Jesus ain't there no more. That's the point the Apostle's trying to get to you and I. Non-Christians are those who do not love Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 22. Again, it's one of those conclusions of the letter. We don't really pay that much attention to it. Here's what it said. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be anathema. Anathema. And people get mad at me. I'll ask him: are you saved? Yeah. How do you know? Well, I... Received Christ. I accepted Christ. I said the sinner's prayer. And you know what? I never hear him say, I love Jesus more than my own life. Now everybody's going to have all the information. I'm going around him. When he asks me if I'm saved, I'll say, I love Jesus more than you. (laughs) Ha, ha. Anathema, a curse, they are damned. Those who are saved, love. The normal to fix our gaze upon him is because of our love. When you love something, it's always going around in your head, isn't it? You're thinking about that person or that car or whatever it is. We love all kinds of stuff. I mean, we love our dogs. We love our grandmas. We love our mommies, whatever. We can go down the line. It's all in there. We love them all. And we always think, ding, 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 thinking about them, twit, twit, twit. Here's what we got going. How much of that is focused on Christ? To gaze on Jesus is to see the glory of God. That is a Christian. All right. But sometimes... We take our eyes off of it. Maybe you guys don't. I have. I'm out attacking bees' nests with water hose. Sometimes there's a fluctuation in the intensity. Right? If you think about a married couple, okay, they love each other and they got married. All right? But if you If you watch it for a little while, And I mean, you don't have to go like 30 years out. (laughs) You you can go 30 days in. And you will find that there is a fluctuation of the intensity. Why? Well, I love you, but you're a serious pain. I know none of your marriages have ever been that way. Mine has never been that way. Forgive me. Dr. Olford says, there are times that our love will wax and wane. There are times that other objects attract us. I remember uh, I was down in South America a number of years ago, and a delicacy that they have there is spider monkey. Okay, Uh, I couldn't eat it. I mean, it... His, they bring it out. It's just a spider monkey. It ain't got no skin on it. It looks like a cooked infant. And I'm like, no, I ain't eating that. A spider monkey. I don't care what it is. And I says, because you could go through the jungle and these things are ding, boop, 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 bouncing off of limbs. And, you know, like, and I thought, well, how in the world do you catch one of those suckers? <laughs> no wonder a delicacy. You get what, one every 10 years. Okay, what, a badminton? <laughs> uh And he says, they're very easy to catch. I said, very easy to catch. He says, yeah, you take a small glass jug with a hole about that big around. And you just put some costume jewelry, pop bottle caps, aluminums, you know, beer tabs or whatever in the bottom of it. And the monkeys come to that jar. You've got the jar tied to a stake. Okay. It reaches in and it grabs that little shiny stuff and it pulls up its fist can't come out the hole and it will not let go. And you just walk up with a stick and smack them in the head and you caught one. But he says, that's what they do. That's how they catch them. You put little shiny stuff in the jar, they just come up, they stick their hand in it and they will not let go. Ain't that what we do? Okay. Okay. I don't know, who's going to hit me in the head with a stick? (laughs) Don't worry, (laughs) it's coming. (laughs) So, You want to see my scars? (laughs) I have a thick head. Did you know, are you guys ready for this? Did you know that there are other objects wanting our affections? You'd have never guessed that, did you? It's a surprise. It's been hidden from sight. There are goals we have. There are dreams we have. There are materials that we want. There are people we desire. We have desires. We have ambitions. And they all compete for our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, our love, those who are truly saved is incorruptible. It's always there. It may move in its intensity, fluctuate in our devotion. It's still always there. Or it was never there. When we take our eyes off of Christ, we become extraordinarily weak. And in that weakness, we become extraordinarily sinful looking into the face of Christ, could be loving the Lord. I want to spend time with Him. I want to see Him more. Do I love Him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And, you know, I, personal experience, it is hard to look if my affection is elsewhere. That, that's personal. And yet, it's the truth of human life. Things get in our way. They distract our attention. And they do it in the spiritual realm as they do it in the physical realm. The enemy parades a list of other things in front of us so we can have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And look at this. Look at this. If you've got this, you'll be whole. If you've got this, you'll be happy. If you've got this, you'll be encouraged. If you've got this, you'll have joy. If you've got this, you'll have... Fill in the blanks. Craziest thing i ever seen. You name it. Guy just gave $3 million For a baseball bat. A baseball bat. It's Babe Ruth's. But still it's a baseball bat. It's a baseball bat. It's a piece of wood. And you know what? Babe Ruth's bats weren't that good. I mean those were the old. Where'd you get that? Out of the ditch. (laughs) Okay. I, I don't understand some of this. But we do it. We have what I call diversions. That sounds good, doesn't it? It's a bunch of bull, but it sounds good. Why? We have things that distract us. Diversions. Oh, you don't understand. I'm, I'm looking for a job. You don't understand. My job ain't paying me enough. My boss is this. Oh, you just don't understand. It's too hot. Oh, you don't understand. It's too cold. Well, if I had a bigger this or a smaller that. And that's all we're doing. We're just chasing temporal, and it's anything just to distract you. Just just get your eyes off of Jesus just a few minutes. Why? Because you walk over here, and as soon as you're standing over there, you become extraordinarily weak. Peter, perfect illustration. And Jesus' earthly ministry, when he was physically close to the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the bull in the china shop. Okay? But if there was a separation from the physical presence of Jesus Christ, he became the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, right? They did. I mean, everybody says, well, you know, he denied Christ three times. You know what? He tried to hack his way through the Praetorium Guard <laughs> to protect Jesus. Because he figured, you know, if they killed him, he could raise him from the dead. He's the one who went after Malchus, the servant with a sword. So don't tell me. But when he didn't have that area around him, when he got distance between him and Jesus, he become useless. You know what? Go look in a mirror. When you're close to Jesus, nothing can stop you. Nothing. Now I'm going to close with this. The letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor, Revelation chapter 2. I'm just going to quickly touch on this. When we take our eyes off of Christ. Our love diminishes. We become weak, become sinful, we become useless. I'm just going to touch on this chapter two, verse two. I know your deeds, your toil, perseverance. You cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not. You have found them to be false. And you have perseverance, verse 3, and have endured for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. Verse 6, Yet, this you do have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, false teachers, which I also hate. It's a good church. You read what they just did. Your deeds, your toil. They are toiling to the point of perspiration for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're doing it with perseverance. I mean, they're not being slowed down. We're doing it. You put to test those. You hold them up to Scripture and say, you don't look right. They're doctrinally solid. I have Bible knowledge. I am toiling for the king. I am persevering for the fight the good fight. He's. They are measuring those who claim by Scripture. How do they stack up? They're not weary. They're concerned of purity. They are concerned about discernment. They are haters of sin. They walk in sound doctrine. They serve and they serve hard. They endure and they are doing much good. Verse 4. But I have this against you. What is it? That you have left your first love. The honeymoon's over. <laughs> They're not gazing intently. You know, what's real similar to the Jeremiah 2 text where he says where are your vows of the betrothed where is your love your passion for me and they'd walked away they'd walked away remember how it was seeing our love grows cold Why? The temporal and the spiritual relationships do the same thing. You watch it. You see people who've been married for a billion years. Well, maybe not that long. I remember Henry Puentec and his wife. Henry was a survivor of Bataan. He spent all of World War II in a Japanese prison camp. Okay? And uh, couldn't get any information out. Uh, And his bride-to-be, Alta, was uh, back here in the United States in Missouri... Had no idea she was going to marry this guy. Had no idea. Hadn't heard boo. Nothing. All she knew, he was on Corregidor, and Corregidor was now in the hands of the Japanese. And that's it. And what was left, survivors, whoever had survived, was in Japanese prison camps. That's all she knew. Okay? war over, and medical ships were bringing people back in. Okay? And she went to San Francisco to wait never knowing whether... See, and the army's not going to notify her. She wasn't married to him. She waited. For all of these prisoner of war ships coming back from Japan, she waited to see if Henry was there, and he was. And I remember when he was saying goodbye to her as God was preparing to call her home, that man had been married for almost 50 years was it 56 or 57 years and you would have swore he was a high school kid losing his high school girlfriend he didn't want her to go and i thought you know what how intense is that love but then you think about it how intense was the love to leave Illinois to go set at the harbors in San Francisco and count the people coming off a ship, seeing if one of them is this guy you want to marry. But you know what was really amazing? Henry's love for Lord Jesus Christ was greater. I remember him wanting to start a Bible study up at the VA hospital. There are times that the things of this world distract us, attract us, deceive us. And we take our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Verse 5, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. And what? Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you. And I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Okay. That is the easiest text that, you know, everybody says, what's the lampstand? Easy. This thing holds up the light. (laughs) I know that you thought it was going to be more complicated. I will remove that that holds up the light. What's the light? Truth of the gospel. Okay. What holds up the truth of the gospel? Pastor teachers. And he says, unless you go back to your first love, you got no lampstand. You still got light. But it's not going to be as bright. It's not going to be as bright. Last Sunday's message, I concluded it is What is your first love, and does anybody know it? The joy and satisfaction of Jesus Christ is all of the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And there is no victory in this life without devotion, an unwavering devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. That love is objective. It's a verb. It is spending time in the word. It is that simple, people. If you can't spend time in the word, then know where your love isn't. He is revealed, and you will stand and go, behold, because every time I read my Bible, even when I, I don't feel like it, it's hot and, mad and cranky and I need a lot of things to do and all the rest of it, every time I get to hear that going through my mind, I read my book, and guess what? I always get a behold. You look into the face of Jesus and the glory of God and you will love what you see and that love will grow. It will influence your life. It will dominate your life. And Paul was in a bad place when he wrote this letter and you need to understand he was under physical, he was under emotional and spiritual and yet he was consumed by joy, overwhelming because he looked into the face of Jesus with devotion and love that was was unwavering he didn't have a counselor he didn't have a psychiatrist he didn't take some pills he didn't do this he didn't do some booze he didn't take a motorcycle ride He was being beaten, he was being whipped, he was stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, his people hated him, the Gentiles hated him, everybody mocked him, they were trying to discredit him, and he had joy unsurpassing, and all he did was continue to look at the person of Jesus Christ. Strength, victory, peace is all found not in your circumstances, but they are Changed by looking at Jesus Christ and the power of the new covenant. That is why when I started this section, I called it looking into the face of Jesus Christ because it is a look that is extraordinarily clear. It is a look that transforms. It is a look that strengthens. It is a look that purifies. It is a look that loves truth. It is a look that has a privilege to it. It is a look that humbles and it is a look that is sovereignly granted by the creator of existence. And it's all based On our love for the Lord Christ Jesus. It is that simple. And if you don't have it. You're either accursed. Or you're in a place where the things of this world has weakened you. And you are consumed by it. And you're living in that place. And you have no victory, you have no joy, you have no encouragement. You are one of the most miserable creatures on the planet Earth, to be honest with you. And all I can tell you, if you're in that position, I will tell you the same thing that the Apostle Paul said. Repent. Change your direction. Okay, listen, brothers and sisters, I want to be adamant about this. I'm not talking about daily devotionals or these little daily guide things like this. I'm talking about the Holy Bible. You read it. You read it. Because this is God breathed. I don't have a problem with daily devotionals. I've got two or three of them that I'm reading through too. But none of them take the place of this. Because this allows me to look into the face of Jesus. And it don't really matter what's going on in my life. When I look at this. I can stop at days and just say. Behold. And I'm telling you. It don't get no better. Let's pray. Father thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for your bride. Your church. Lord I ask that. uh, Hold my feet to the fire as I look into the face of Jesus. Father, I give you the praise. I thank you that you've given me the privilege of doing it, of looking at your book. And Father, I pray for these precious souls. That Lord, if they don't have that, that today would be the day of their redemption. And Father, if they do have it, but are waxing and waning in their love, that you would refire it. And if that passion for you would overwhelm them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this text. And thank you that you've given me the privilege to preach through one of the most precious texts that I've ever wanted to teach. And I thank you and I praise you for the, the privilege. I pray, Lord, as we leave this place, that we are overwhelmed by our first love. And that, Father, all will see and say those are truly children of the King. In Christ's name. Amen.